making our way through uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We started this chapter last week. We got through the first seven verses, and so we're going to pick it up here in verse 8. But here's what we've been looking at as we go through this uh, first little bit, really centered on on the comfort of God. And so we looked at kind of this dichotomy that we see oftentimes, this sort of you know transition where we can find ourselves in oftentimes where God comes and he brings comfort in the midst of suffering. We've seen how he brings in verses six and seven, this strength in the midst of weakness. Uh, and then here in verse eight, we're gonna look at trust uh, in the midst of trials, trust through trials, verses eight to 11. Then we'll look at conduct and criticism and assurance in apprehension. But here in verse eight, Here's what we read. For we do not want you to be ignorant brethren of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, so that we despaired even of life. So here's Paul now. And, and remember, in the first part of the chapter, some beautiful verses that we find, right? Where Paul's been talking about the, the suffering that we sometimes go through is opportunities for us to grow in the Lord, to know the Lord's comfort for us, but then it also does something. It allows us to come alongside others in their time of need to comfort them with the comfort by which we've been comforted by God. And so God desires to use each of our things. It's not a time of just, you know, trial and, and testing and just punishment. Sometimes we think when we're going through difficulties, like, okay, what have I done wrong? I got to clear this up, Lord, reveal to me. That's like, you know, remember Job, right? He's got all of his friends coming to him saying, Job, look at the suffering here. What'd you do wrong? Just hurry up and confess and it'll all be made right. Sometimes we can feel like, what have I done wrong? And yet that's not the case all the time. Sometimes the Lord brings us through that simply to grow us and strengthen us and then to use us to minister to others. And so Paul has come along now and say, listen, guys, I don't want you to be ignorant. I'm not speaking something that I'm kind of giving to you to do where I've never experienced it myself, right? Sometimes we can know exactly what to tell people and yet tell people and yet not experience it ourselves. Well, Paul says, don't be ignorant. I've gone through trial. I've gone through this kind of pressure and tribulation. He says, you know, I want to remind you of the trouble that came to us in Asia. Now, we don't know exactly the, the, the trouble that Paul is referring to specifically, but we do know Paul had quite an extensive rap sheet of persecution and trial and tribulation that he's been through. I mean, he could have taken anything off that list and said, I know what it's like to go through trouble and trial because look at what I've had to endure. It could be that he's speaking of his time in Ephesus. He wrote uh, the letter to the, to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. It could be he's referring to uh, you know, the mob that kind of rose up against Paul. They all met in the theater. They're all just like ready to take Paul out. And, and it could be that he's referring to the trial he's, he's talking about there. He's referred to earlier how he's had a fight with, you know, wild beasts at, at Ephesus. Could be referring to that or maybe literal beasts. We don't know, but he's been through trial and trouble. He knows what he's talking about. He's speaking from personal experience when he says, I know what it's like to go through these things. I don't want you to be ignorant. In fact, he says, we were burdened, notice in verse eight, burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Paul's like going, we were at a point where we felt like that's it. We're goners, man. 
Like this is, this is gonna lead us right into the glory of Jesus. Like say goodbye to your friends. They're writing love letters now to all their family going, hey, this could be it. We may not see you again. Like he felt like this is beyond measure. It reached a point where it was so heavy upon him that he basically was despairing of life. Have you ever been at that point in life where the, the pressures have just mounted up so much to where you just feel like, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this. I don't know if, it can, if it's gonna get any better. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, you know, I went to a Starbucks around Christmas time, went and ordered my seasonal eggnog latte and they said, we don't make those anymore. And I, my body just went numb. It was a despair. Like I have not, I don't know, I've experienced before. I was like, how can this be? Where am I gonna go now? Where, what meaning is there in, no, I, I didn't reach that point, but maybe you've experienced times <laughs> worse than that, <laughs> that you go, how am I gonna get through this? How am I gonna make it? Maybe you've never been at that point, but we can look at others who have, and a guy like Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant because I've been there. And yet what's Paul revealing? I'm still here. I'm still here. I've been through it. I've experienced this and God's been good. Whether or not you've been through intense heat before or not, we see that others have and they've made it through. And look at Paul's resolve and outcome from these trials. Look at what he says in verse nine. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Now, this is pretty amazing here. Paul's revealing, we felt like the death sentence was upon us. Like we were sitting in death row, just waiting for our number to be called. And then we were going home to be with the Lord. It was curtains. That's kind of where Paul was at with all this. But what did this, what did this do? It caused Paul all the more to trust in God. And that's what we're looking at here in this point, trust in trials, learning how through trials, we need to trust the Lord. Paul came to a point where he said, we need to trust and press in with the Lord all the more. Because Paul says, I believe that God, if need be, could even raise up the death or the dead. God who raises the dead, Paul says. He saw what God was able to do in any situation. And Paul, feeling the death sentence is upon his life, so now he's ready to be called. He goes, you know what? I'm gonna keep trusting the Lord because he could essentially raise me up. And, and in fact, that's what Paul is kind of attesting to that Paul's in a sense experienced this because he's been delivered. God's led him through. God is a delivering God. And notice what Paul says that he delivered from so great death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Paul's looking at this and going, God's been faithful in the past. He's delivering us still in the present. And we know whatever trial we might encounter, God is still gonna be good. And he still will deliver us. And guess what? Maybe that deliverance is out of that trial. And maybe that deliverance is just going to be with Jesus, which means guess what? It only gets better. It only gets better, but God is a delivering God. That's another benefit that we see here in trials, isn't it? Because it teaches us to be dependent on God. 
See, when things are going good, when things are comfortable, we can tend to just kind of kick it into autopilot. We just sort of cruise along feeling like, oh no, I'm good. Everything's working out just fine. And we fail to kind of be living that life that we should be always, and that is living daily dependent on the Lord. We can easily kind of get unhooked from the Lord. I think about, you know, rock climbers who go free soloing. You ever seen people doing that? They're climbing up rock, you know, face, and they're like way, way up there. And they're doing it all free soloing, meaning they're not harnessed anything. They're not having any rope connection. They're just going free, like one slip, one uh, crack of a rock, and they're down. And I think we do that oftentimes where we become untethered from the Lord and we think, I got this, we're just moving along. And suddenly slip, crash, we're like, what happened? We, we've gotten away from God. See, this is like one great thing that, that trials can do in our lives is it brings us back to the point where we recognize, God, I need you always. Whether I'm going through times of a favor or whether I'm going through times of trial, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what I'm in. I need to be in you, Jesus, in all things and at all times. I need to be living daily with a dependence upon you. That's what that word, remember that word tribulations that Paul used in verse four? Remember that Greek word, philipsis, and it meant pressing? May the, the times that we experience a pressing in our lives cause us to press into the Lord all the more and recognize, God, I need you. And maybe I've gotten away from you. Maybe I've, I, I, I've begun to trust a little bit more in my own resources or my own strength, but I recognize now, God, that leads me nowhere. I need you. So may all of our pressing causes all the more to press into the Lord and never to leave that place of remaining pressed in to Jesus, abiding in him and trusting him because he's the one that brings us that strength and comfort in all of our trials and tribulations. And, and Paul is recognizing that and he's revealing that, oh, praise be to God who, who, who delivered us. He's done it. Who does deliver us? He's, he's continuing to do it daily and he'll still deliver us. He's faithful. May we trust him and lean on him. And notice in verse seven, you also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. So we also see here how prayer is absolutely vital. Paul says here that together in prayer for us. So he saw that others are praying. The church at Corinth was lifting them up and prayer is so important. We can't underestimate prayer. We can be praying for ourselves and for us to be remaining, abiding in Christ and being strengthened in him, but we can also pray for one another. And Paul recognized that that was something that he saw a great value to in his life. I'm so thankful for the many people that come to me and say, hey, we just want you to know, Pastor Brent, we're praying for you. You know how much that, I don't just go, oh, that's great. You know, I would much rather you know, a Starbucks gift card, but prayer, okay, if you wanna pray. No, listen, I, I am so thankful for prayer, honestly. I'll take prayer over a, a Starbucks card, like, you know, 54% of the time, any day. Um, probably more than that, but, but I need it. We need it. We need to be people of prayer and we need to be lifting one another up in prayer because we recognize 
the, the power and the importance of prayer. It's keeping us centered on Christ. It's saying we're not trusting in ourselves, we're relying on God. But look at the outcome of this here, that thanks may be given by many persons. You see, when we're praying, when we're lifting one another up, we're saying, hey, you know what? This person over here, man, they're going through a real crisis. We need to pray for them. Let's lift them up in prayer. And then when we see God do his work, guess what? We go, oh, that wasn't because of them. That wasn't because of the, the medical. No, we were praying and God delivered. Praise be to God. It causes us to rejoice and give thanks. And Paul says, on our behalf for the gift granted to us, that gift that Paul experienced was that deliverance that he received. And it led to the praise of God. Be people of prayer, my friends. If you are not praying regularly, I encourage you, see the value and the importance of prayer. That's just pressing with you. It's not just going through a shopping list saying, God needs you to do this, I need you to do that, take care of this. It's saying, I just wanna be with my God, my Savior, my Lord. I just wanna be in that communion and time of fellowship with the Lord. I wanna experience, and when we pray, guess what? We're gonna be comforted by God as we meet with the God of all comfort. You're gonna be strengthened and you're gonna know that comfort and it's gonna lead others to praise God as well. Paul would say, in um, Philippians 1.19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. So we've seen this trust in trials that we're to have. Let's look next in verse 12 at this conduct in criticism. Now, I'll get to what that means in a second, but Paul writes in verse 12, for our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity, and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. So as we're looking at kind of what's going on in the context of this letter that Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, there were people now that have come into the church of Corinth since Paul's departure, who were false apostles. They were trying to elevate themselves and by elevating themselves, they need to kind of knock Paul down. And so they come in and they're cynical towards Paul. They're critical of Paul. They're saying, look at all the troubles he's been through. If he was truly a man of God, he wouldn't be having his life in such crisis all the time and going through the tribulations. So they said, oh, and that's why Paul writes, here's the reasons for it, guys. It's actually working out a, a good purpose. So not only did they try to discredit Paul through the trials he went through, but they also tried to, tried to discredit Paul by saying he's not a trustworthy person. This guy is not being honest. He's not being trustworthy. He's not really a, 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 a reliable guy. And they were saying that because Paul had said earlier that he plans to come and visit them again in Corinth. And when Paul didn't come, when, they, when he said he was gonna come, they'll go, ah, oh, look at that. He told us he's gonna come by, he hasn't come yet. Can't trust that guy, he's a phony. Paul had said in, in 1 Corinthians 16, starting in verse five, he says, now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I'm passing through Macedonia, and it may be that I'll remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. And look at the end of verse seven, if the Lord permits. So Paul's plan was to go and visit them and he never came. 
We know that Paul in his journeys oftentimes was redirected by the Lord, oftentimes was hindered from going in a certain place by the Holy Spirit who had different plans. This isn't Paul being, you know, just wishy-washy with his words. This was Paul being led of the Lord, directed by God. But yet the people were saying he's flaky, he's double-minded, can't trust him. Paul goes on to say here, that he has a, a clear conscience, that he's conducted himself in what? In simplicity and in godly sincerity. Now that word simplicity has in mind with it the idea of not just simplicity, uh, it, it means this, singleness, which again, it's not speaking of I'm single, you know, I'm looking for a spouse. It's, it's talking about not being Double-minded. Uh, this guy's not working for me here. That's what Paul means by we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity. We weren't double-minded. We weren't being duplicit. What we said, we, we meant. That's what Paul means here. And then when he says, and godly sincerity, this is the, the Greek word, elekrania, which speaks of purity of motive. It's kind of got the picture associated with that word of like sun shining in and just illuminating something for what it is, being able to kind of see right through it. And Paul says, I've not been hiding anything. I've been sincere. And that word, our word sincerity comes from a Latin word, Sinicerus. Oh, I didn't get that right. Sinicerus. Let me fix that. And that means, anybody know what Sinicerus means? Some of you will. It means without wax. That's right. Some of you said it. Without wax. And you go, oh, that's cool. I have no idea how that applies to this situation right here. Let me explain to you. See, in this day, when they were making these great works of art, you know, the bust, the, you know, a statue, a, a head of David or something like that, a nice beautiful statue out of marble or something, they'd be chipping away. The artist would be carving away with their chisel and find, and, and you think about some of these works of art that you see, go, how'd they do that back then? Like, that's just beautiful, amazing. But you know, as that person's working and chipping away, spending months, maybe years on this beautiful work of art, some days they get a little bit tired and maybe hit that chisel too hard and all of a sudden, boom, nose comes right off, right? Lopped off nose. Or they get too close to the ear and all of a sudden, you know, the earlobe's gone. It's like, oh man, like I've just ruined this whole time that I've been investing in this work of art. But what they began to discover is if you ground up some of that powder from that stone or marble and you begin to mix it with wax, you could begin to form things and recreate what you were doing and put that on and it would look kind of as good as new. And so they would kind of sell their item being like, perfect, wonderful. But when somebody would go to the market and buy something like that and they take it home, they set it out in their patio in the Mediterranean sun, guess what happened when that sun began to hit that work of art? Suddenly that nose starts to hang down, that earlobe starts to disappear and you're going, what happened? So they begin to sell these items with the tag Sinicerus, without wax, meaning this is authentic. It's not kind of a, a, a phony facade. It's the real deal. And that's what Paul is saying here. We've conducted ourselves without duplicity, singleness of mind, and we've been like without wax. We've been clean 
and clear consciences here as we've been living for the Lord and desiring to be an example of the Lord. Now, the question is, how do we respond when the heat is cranked up? When we're going through these times of pressing, when things are getting tight and tough and we're facing the trials, do we tend to become a little bit less like Christ? Do we begin to kind of get a little bit droopy? People begin to say, oh, man, I thought you were like living for a little, suddenly I'm seeing something different. Or do those trials cause us to become all the more solidified in Christ where people can go, man, you are exactly who you say you are in, in all things. There's a trust in the Lord here. Paul was living that way. He says in verse 13, for we're not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end as also you have understood us in part that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul's saying, I'm not adding anything to what I'm writing. You don't have to read between the lines. He says what he means and he, he means what he says. You don't have to try to go, is he really saying what we think he's saying here? Do we have to kind of, try to evaluate this differently? No, he says what he means. And he says, guess what? I believe that we are your boast in the day of the Lord. That when the Lord comes and he begins to reveal all things as he's going to us, 1 Corinthians 3 says that all things are gonna pass through the fire. Paul says, we're gonna go through that refiner's fire. We're gonna see that light of the Lord shine. That's kind of that idea of, uh, of sincerity, elecrania again, that light shining in. He goes, you're gonna see that we've been true and honest, that we've not been hiding anything. We're gonna be your boast as you also are our boast in the day of the Lord. Those believers in Corinth were the fruit of Paul's ministry. He's been serving the Lord faithfully and they're all gonna see that there's reason to rejoice in that day. Paul is confident of those things. And he says in verse 15, and in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. So Paul had every intention to come to them, right? He wasn't just blowing smoke. He was confident that he would come to them. Now, when he was writing that letter of 1 Corinthians, he was in Ephesus, Ephesus over to the right in Asia there. And they would oftentimes travel to Corinth by ship across the water, the Atlantic Corinth. And Paul says, you know, I was planning to see you when I make my way to Macedonia. And then when I come back from Macedonia, I was gonna stop in and see you again and spend some time with you before I make my way back to, whether it's Ephesus or Judea. But again, God began to have other plans and redirect Paul, it's okay for believers to make plans, but we gotta hold those plans very lightly in the master's hands and say, God, you're the one that needs to direct me. Just like when I'm out driving using, you know, Apple Maps or whatever it is, I hear oftentimes, you know, okay, uh, let's do a U-turn. You missed that turn, right? It has to, map has to recalibrate, right? I get that often, missed my turn, not paying attention, turn around. Sometimes that's what the Lord has to do for us, recalibrate. We've been going one way thinking, oh, this is, this is the right path. And the Lord needs to kind of recalibrate. Oh, you know what? We're actually gonna do a little U-turn here. We're gonna change course a little bit from what you intended to do. You know, hold those. And that's what was exp being experienced with Paul. 
Not that he wasn't being honest with what he was saying, it's that God had other plans. So we see Paul revealing this conduct in criticism that he's been above board, he's been honest. But let's look lastly at this assurance in apprehension, verse 17. Because again, many people in Corinth very apprehensive of, of Paul. The, the critics there were trying to discredit Paul, but he's coming with some assurance now for them. Look at what he says in verse 17. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I planned, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me, there should be yes, yes, and no, no. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. See, Paul was never flippant in his plans or his promises. He thought through what he said so that he would not be seen as a hypocrite. He's not functioning, he says, as someone who's walking according to the flesh where they're just kind of like going, yeah, sure, I'll come and see you. And just saying it without ever having an intention to do it. Some people are just wanting to be agreeable or acceptable and say what others want to hear without ever really thinking through, am I going to be able to actually live up to that? But Paul, it's not walking according to the flesh or kind of what the world will do. He's saying, my yes was yes, and my no was no. He was not afraid to say what he believed was going to be true. He wasn't yes and no. He says what he means. When he says no, he means it. He's not being wishy-washy. Some of you husbands might know what that's like sometimes when you're saying, honey, I'm just gonna go out. Uh, just gonna go play some disc golf with the guys. And uh, they're like, oh, okay, fine. Go ahead, sure. Go ahead, just go. And you're kind of like, oh, okay. Uh, I'm kind of getting mixed signals here. I feel like you're saying go, but I feel like that's not really where your head is at. What should I do? And you're kind of like going, eh, what? And you're just, now you realize you're trapped. You're in trouble. Whatever decision you make, it's too far gone. You just go out, buy some flowers or take her for dinner. If, you know, Paul said, I'm not being like that. I'm not saying one thing, meaning something different. My yes is yes and my no is no. And Paul even compares his word to the faithfulness of God's word. Look at verse 18, but as God is faithful, and I love that, but as God is faithful, that's not working. I want you to see that here. God's word to you was not yes and no. It's always in him, yes. In other words, Paul is saying, my word is every bit as true, and not that I'd be comparing my word to God's word, but what Paul is shifting to is to say, God is a dependable God. He doesn't break his promises. There's one thing God cannot do, and that is lie. God's a promise-keeping God. He's a dependable God. And he goes on to say in verse 19, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Sylvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. See, Paul knew the importance of keeping his word because as he's going out and he's declaring the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, revealing who Jesus is, Paul knows that if he's not living up to his word, then how are people gonna believe him when he speaks about the truth, Jesus Christ. He'll go, well, you haven't been a person of your word here, so why should we now trust you when you talk about Jesus? That, that's something for us to really take to heart today, isn't it? How are we living our lives? Are we living in, in truth? 
in simplicity and sincerity? Are we living hypocritical lives? Are we saying one thing, upholding something of the gospel, but not living it out in our lives? Because then people watch us and they see us and they go, hmm, how can I really trust what they're holding up here if they're not living it out down here? Or if they're not living truthful, honest lives. Our witness matters. Now, notice something here. Again, Paul says that all the promises of God are in him, that's in Christ. It's as though God is saying, all my promises are wrapped up in and fulfilled through Christ. Warren Wiersbe says, Jesus Christ reveals the promises, fulfills the promises, and enables us to claim the promises, where each promise now gets a resounding amen. All the promises of God are in him, or in him are yes, and in him, amen. And amen simply means, so let it be. So let it be as though, it's true, that's truth. That's why we say amen. You can hold on to that. And all the promises of God, there's no promises that God makes that are now defunct or, and, and a lot of people, you know, here's, here's one thing, and I don't have time to get into this, so I should stop right now, but I'm not. <laughs> but, you know, one way to see the validity of God's word is just like in the nation of Israel, where God has promised all these things. to. Now, there are some people in Christianity that will say, oh, you know what? No, all those promises now have transferred to the church. We're now the new Israel. That's called replacement theology. That's a lie. God is still upholding his promises to Israel. In fact, when you look at the nation of Israel, there's, there's no, it's one of the greatest proofs that we have to the accuracy, the inerrancy, and the validity and the authority of God's word because there's no other nation that's been through what Israel's been through where they've been taken out of their land several times where God's promised them their land to where they've been removed. They've been dispersed around the world and yet they've remained in their national identity with their national language. That's never happened before. Typically that begins to, when nations are dispersed, they begin just to kind of uh, uh, affiliate in a sense with their surrounding nations and lose their national identity within uh, four generations. And you, you look at what Israel's been through to where they're in their land again today as a nation with their language. I mean, these are miracles that we've seen happen before us because God has promised it and he doesn't go back on his promises. There's a wonderful truth for us right there. And Paul is saying, all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen. Well, verse 21, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has uh, anointed us is God who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. See, Paul didn't really need to go into a heavy defense of his role and who he was. He's not too worried about what others said of him because he knew God was establishing him just as God has established all of the believers in Corinth. God was faithful. And Paul and the Corinthian believers are now being linked together through the work of God. Not only was God uh, establishing or confirming them, but he says, 
you've been anointed. Now we can use that word again in some Christian circles with this kind of real spiritual, oh, that person is so anointed. Oh, just watch them. Oh my goodness, I get tingles just being around them. There's The anointing is so heavy upon them. And we use this word in that way. You know what? All believers are anointed, which simply means that we've been commissioned, consecrated, set apart a, a priest, a prophet, a king in the Old Testament was anointed, kind of commissioned them into the new office. But now for believers, we're not commissioned into new, we're commissioned into the family of God. We have an anointing. It's by the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that some person has over and above another person. Oh, then it's, we're simply anointed by God. We're brought in the family of God. And we see the whole work of the Trinity in securing each believer and establishing in the promises of God. McDonald says this, God had established them in the faith, confirming them in Christ by the ministry of the word. He had also anointed them with the spirit, qualifying, empowering, and teaching them. So we see the certainty of God. We see the centrality of Jesus. And now the certification of the Holy Spirit. Look at what we see here, that the Holy Spirit has sealed us. He sealed us. That's wonderful to know because what that means, and especially in this day, when a person was shipping a package, remember Corinth being a, 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 a port you know, city, ships coming in, uh, packages being dropped off. Well, the owner to know that this is their package and to lay claim to it, they would put this wax seal upon that package. It would mark it to say, I'm the rightful owner. That's what God has done through the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we are born again, we become new, the Holy Spirit is in us, and that becomes a seal by which God says, you're mine. We are his, we're his children, and he sealed us and marked us. And that seal also speaks of security, security from the wicked one. Not only has he sealed us, but it says that the Holy Spirit has also become what? Somebody? It's right there? Where? He's become, somebody shout it out. Thank you. Just wanted me to wake you up. He's become our guarantee, which means this. What I started, I'm gonna finish. It's not just a little bit where he maybe reneges. He says, no, I'm putting down a, a guarantee. It's like a down deposit where I'm, I'm coming back. There's, there's better things to come. It's important for us to recognize that when we go through tribulation and pressing, we don't sit here and wonder, God, where are you in all this? You're his, he sealed you. And the Holy Spirit's become the guarantee that says, I'm not done with you. I'm at work with you now. He's the God that has delivered, does deliver, and will still deliver. He's that guarantee where there's better things to come. We have an inheritance, eternal life, and he's coming back again one day to receive us unto himself. We're marked, sealed, anointed, guaranteed by the Holy Spirit that God is not done with us. Praise the Lord for that. We can trust God, my friends. We never have to let the things of this world bring us down, discourage us, be a heavy to us. We're in Christ and all his promises are yes and amen. They're dependable. May we trust him. Worship team, would you guys come and 
We're going to close with a song here. But again, be encouraged here that we can trust God. When you're in a time of pressing, God's going to establish you. What he speaks in his word is dependable. It's always yes and amen. How can we know these things are true? How can we depend on him? He's given us his Holy Spirit to mark us, to reveal that we're his, provides a guarantee. So may we be confident in these things, trusting the Lord, living faithfully for him as he is a faithful God to us. All right, let's stand together. God, we thank you for your word here. Thank you for the things that we learn and take from this. And I pray that you would strengthen every person here today. God, that we would know this God of all comfort. That we would know we can truly lean on and depend on you and, and forgive us, Lord, when we get confident in our own selves and we get away from you. May we remain tethered to you, abiding in you, Jesus. Knowing that you are good. So we love you. Strengthen and help us here today, we pray. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the good news here today. That Jesus came and he died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin. The bad news is, is that we were sinners, every single one of us, guilty before God, unable to help ourselves, unable to gain eternal life into heaven. That's why Jesus had to come. Only he, the perfect sinless one, fully God yet fully man could stand in our place, pay the penalty for your sin. He died, he rose again to secure forgiveness of sin and everlasting life for you. It's a free gift, my friends. That's the promise of God, a dependable promise. Yes and amen. But if you receive that for yourself, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you, I implore you, I call out to you today, get right with God. Turn from your sin, confess it to him and ask him to forgive you and to come in your heart and be your Lord and Savior. That's all it takes. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no works you have to perform. It's by grace through faith. It's a free gift. Receive it today. Turn to Jesus.